welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilker. Welcome back to the wonder of October. The wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. We are like fully in uh, every single week. There's a big AAA, oh my God, I can't believe this exists video game coming out. <laughs> um, it's just been this year, to be honest. Yeah. But, yeah. I think, I think we've talked about this a lot over the course of the year, but I, I think 2023 is going to go down as like one of the best years of video games, I think since maybe like 2007, like Mario Galaxy, Bioshock. Or 2017 was also really good. 2017. That was, uh, was Persona 5, Breath of the Wild, Nier Automata, Mario Odyssey. Yeah. Oh my God. That, w- that was a good year. That was a good yeah. year for us. I feel like True, 2000, but- 2007 was like every studio was putting out their like biggest. Th- it was like Halo. What, one of the Halos. I forget which one. It was Halo 3, I think. It was Halo 3. Yeah. It was Halo 3. Call of Duty Modern Warfare came out that year. Mario Galaxy. Like I said, Bioshock. I just feel like, oh my God, was was there Resident Evil that year also? No. Resident Evil 5. Or maybe there was, but 4 oh, was yeah, it would probably be, It would be 4 or 5, yeah. yeah. Which, uh, I mean, it would be 5 or 6, which would not be uh, part of that list. Anyway, uh, this is a wild year for video games. So so this week, uh, on on this past week, I guess, on Friday, was Super Mario Wonder, which we're going to talk about today, and Marvel Spider-Man 2, which we are not going to talk about today, to be clear. Uh, just a reminder, I cannot talk about Spider-Man 2. And I haven't played it yet, so... And Steven hasn't started why. it because uh, we have to pace ourselves because there's so much stuff going on. We are also working uh, towards recording our Majora's Mask bonus, um, yeah. which is going to be coming soon. Which, by the way, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer on that episode, uh, let us know in any of the places that you can find us. Threads or Blue Sky or Discord uh, or Tumblr are all great places to submit questions for that. But uh, that's going to be very exciting. That's going to be our Halloween episode is Majora's Mask. I can't Mask. wait. Yeah, which uh, I've been playing a lot of. But that's one of the reasons we're not talking about everything as it comes out. Um, I mean, first of all, that's not what this podcast is. But second of all, I think uh, we just need to pace ourselves. So we've been playing a lot of Super Mario Wonder. Yeah, I... uh, What did you... What was your feeling about Super Mario Wonder before it even came out? That's my first question for you. I was really excited for it. Steve Watts in the GameSpot review of Mario Wonder basically says like intentionally or not nintendo has created like two tracks of mario games Mm. there's the sort of mainline 3d entries and then there's like the retro throwbacks and that seems to be kind of like not only what nintendo's doing but i feel like square is doing that as well with like you have final fantasy 16 coming out and being this like big cinematic action game and then you have octopath traveler 2 as like kind of you know the b team's retro throwback right totally and i say b team affectionately there i'm i'm a i'm becoming a number one fan of the square b team to be honest yeah same here actually Um, (laughs) but uh with nintendo it feels like you know ever since mario 64 we then get you know mario galaxy mario sunshine i feel like there was kind of a merging of worlds with super mario 3d world but then like the tracks were redefined with mario odyssey mm-hmm. and then kind of on the side you had the new super mario brothers games which were like a little bit more party centric a little bit more like i don't know what the right word is like i don't i don't want to dismiss them because they are also like great platformers in their own right but you could tell that was sort of the b team it wasn't like given the same like pomp and circumstance as like mario odyssey was for example what's interesting you know? yeah what's interesting about those games the new super mario brothers games which we talked about a bunch on our ds episode and our 3ds episode yeah but i i'm a big fan of those games i think they're really spectacular i do i do feel like they get kind of not i don't want to say like a bad rap but they get like they get a little bit short i think in the discussion despite being 
hugely hugely popular like number one selling game on the nintendo ds one of the number one selling games on the 3ds like the new super mario brothers games are like hugely hugely popular which i think is really interesting considering you know once mario makes that jump from 2d to 3d you just kind of think like that's the flagship that's the thing that's always going to sell systems but it turns out that the side like there's not only a market for the side scrolling mario stuff to continue but that market is so fervent and is so wild that like nintendo could if they wanted to just get rid of the 3d stuff and be totally fine just making 2d side scrolling marios forever if they wanted to yeah or like i mean i think there's a world in which nintendo just sort of like rinse wash repeated those types of games that's what i wanted to talk about a shit ton of money yes and then got to take the big risks in the mainline series Mm -hmm. and it reminds me too of a conversation we had when we did our mario all-stars episode earlier this year yeah where like I think that GameSpot review was right to say there's kind of these like two tracks of, of Mario games. In my head, the way I kind of divide Mario as a series are there there are kind of two main interests of Mario. There's the platforming and then there's like the finding secrets of it all. Mm. And I think some games are more interested in one than the other. So like totally, yeah. Mario 2 is about as far as you can push secrets over platforming the doki doki panic mario 2 yes exactly yeah. where whereas <laughs> opposite for for uh lost levels. lost levels yeah totally yeah Mar- mario 2 and mario 2 are the spectrum that we're <laughs> rating against <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but less extreme examples i would say like mario sunshine and yoshi's island to me are like great examples of games that are maybe more interested in like being in a place mm-hmm. and finding discovering things and almost kind of reveling in the surrealness of it all. Yeah. Whereas I think um, Mario Galaxy and Super Mario 3D World uh, are more interested in being like really tightly designed platformers. Mm. What's interesting to me is the middle ground where I think uh, like Mario Odyssey and Super Mario 64 to me are games that are equally both, you know, because because they're 3D and they're 3D in the sense that like the levels are open worlds to explore yeah you have kind of the best of both and to me that's where mario truly shines so i was really interested in what i guess super mario brothers wonder was going to do because it seemed like there was an acknowledgement of the success of the new mario brothers games but they wanted to give it the same treatment as like the mainline series gets yeah i think i think that's the really interesting point to bring up here because i i've said on this show a lot whenever mario stuff comes out like i I am never really excited about a new Mario game until I get my hands on it. And then it's yeah. like all I care about. And it's the only thing I want to be doing. And this was the first time I think maybe ever where they announced a new Mario game. And I immediately was on board and was so excited about it because it just it just seemed like they acknowledged internally they could have kept going down that path that you were talking about, like just continuing to release new Super Mario Brothers games in kind of the same formula and the same vibe. And still, as you said, make money hand over fist like they could just like literally print money by continuing to make these games. And decided to do the hard thing right and and pivot away from that and try something really new and fresh which to be i i think you know give credit where credit's due here they kind of did that with super mario maker right like super mario maker one and two i think are about as risky as you can get in terms of breaking away from making just another new super mario brothers game because you have you know you have the one on ds you have the one on 3ds and then there's the one on wii and the one on wii u i think are i think that's the the amount that's all the new super mario brothers games or at least with that with that titling terminology and the next thing they release is 
Super Mario Maker and they're just like make your own thing like we have our own levels we put in here but like this is a game you could play endlessly and I remember when New Super Mario or sorry I remember when Super Mario Maker came out a lot of the discussion about it was like where do they where do they go from here like do they ever make a 2D Mario game ever again after making Super Mario Maker because the idea of just letting people print their own levels download them eventually they like patched in the ability to make entire worlds maybe that was in the second one but point being they made the endless side-scrolling Mario game and the idea I think that a lot of people had when that came out was this is Nintendo's way of saying we don't need to do this anymore. We can focus on the big 3D flagship stuff, which, you know, was a little bit of a bummer, but was also like you couldn't really argue against it. It was, you know, it was kind of like the perfect thing for Nintendo to have made. And of course, the follow up ended up being Super Mario Maker 2, which is like, oh, okay, cool. So Uh you're just going to add more tools to this. Okay, great. And then, you know, then the question again becomes, what do they do? How do they top this? And, uh, the answer is you go back, you go back to that well and just like shake it up, add new blood, which I think famously from a lot of the interviews that we're seeing, and they're doing like a pretty big press blitz about this game. I think A, because Nintendo's really confident in it. And when Nintendo's really confident in a game like this and they want it to blow up, that's like the one time they open up the doors to like just let everybody who worked on the game get interviewed pretty openly about it. And we're seeing a lot of interviews with the team that made this game. And it's mostly like by Nintendo standards, younger dudes, you know, who like have been working at the company for not as long as Shigeru Miyamoto and didn't invent Mario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they were like, let's let's give, you know, let's give the new blood a chance to like really put their stamp on this and give them enough time to put their stamp on it too. You know, this is not like a, hey, we need a new Super Mario Brothers game, you know, by next holiday, chop, chop, get to work. Instead, they were given, you know, years of development time and uh, a pretty, a pretty radical, a pretty radical pitch, which is just like make Mario as interesting and as fun as it has ever been. And I don't want to speak for you, but I'll, I'll say in my experience playing it so far, I think that they have knocked it out of the fucking park with this game. Like this, it astounds me every time a game like this comes out and I'm like, how did you make another side-scrolling Mario game feel this exciting to play again? And I, I just think, you know, it's boring to be like, I think it's just like good management and good like delegation on Nintendo's side, like on the corporate side. But what that has produced for me, at least, and I excuse the hyperbole, but I really do feel it right now in the moment that I'm saying this into a microphone. This is, I think, the most exciting Mario game for me since probably Super Mario World in terms of like, looking at the full lineage of side-scrolling Mario games, New Super Mario Brothers and that franchise, I think, is really great and it's exciting and it was cool when it came out because when New Super Mario Bros. came out in the DS, that had also been like 10, 20 years since the last time Nintendo had released a side-scrolling Mario game. Like, that was a big deal, you know? And this similarly feels like another sea change, but it feels like an even greater leap than New Super Mario Brothers did because that was like we have a 2d 3d thing going on and we've added a mushroom that makes you really 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 big and super mario wonder is like what if everything you knew about mario was different now <laughs> yeah it feels like like the new super mario brothers series felt like a, a collage of the past yeah. and this feels like it feels really fresh despite also being like a mix of influences i think the biggest thing i feel like if i were to point out like what is the key difference in design between wonder and the new mario brothers series is that this feels like i think it's not a coincidence that that it has like a newer development staff because i feel so much more outside influence on it mm. like mario yeah. has always kind of felt like he's been in a league of his own in terms of like you know there's i mean i think side-scrolling platformers existed prior to mario brothers but like that was the one and for 
several generations everyone was trying to make their own version right. of a side-scrolling platformer and still are <laughs> and then mario 64 comes out and everyone's trying to make a 3d one and like just no one could do it like there are great examples of you know competitors but like no one even came close and the fact that like 30 years later mario is on his like eighth victory lap of being the best side-scrolling platformer <laughs> but what's great about wonder is like there's a humility in recognizing, especially in the indie scene, I feel like side-scrolling platformers have existed for long enough now that we are seeing developers like reach the same heights now, yeah. you know, years, years later. But like, I feel so much Celeste in this game, like especially in the harder trials. I feel a lot of Donkey Kong Country as well. Like the elephant power feels like you're riding the rhino. It has a similar oh, yeah. rhythm to it. It also, I mean, not really outside because it's also Nintendo, but I feel like there's a lot of Kirby here too. Like Forgotten Land had similar sort of like navigation of the map where there are like discrete levels and then there are trials with all of the powers. Mm. I feel like Super Mario Brothers Wonder and Kirby and the Forgotten Land are great examples of modern games that are like not retro they're just showing you the power of that design yeah they're showing you that there's actually still more to be done in these old school formats which is amazing you yeah, know absolutely and yeah i mean i i really love uh this game it, it's it's only i've only played it for a few days so it's like hard for me to say like definitively where i would rank it amongst the mario games but it's at least like alongside some of the best entries yeah we're recording this two days after it came out by the way yeah, just to be yeah. clear. so we, we haven't had a whole lot of time i also just got back from a, a trip like yesterday last night so i'm on i'm on world three Same. and i i would say it's at least on par with 3d world if not a little better that's kind of where I would put mm. it in my head. I still think like I think Odyssey kind of wowed me more, to be honest. Uh, I just think that Odyssey is like a very interesting direction for the series to go in. And I'm really curious now that Wonder exists, if like the next 3D game is going to be a follow up to Bowser's Fury. I feel like that has to be the case, mm. you know, because like Bowser's Fury was I was kind of lukewarm on it, but people loved it. And it feels like a pretty natural evolution of Odyssey's kind of style yeah so i wonder now if we're gonna have like i wonder <laughs> if we're gonna have like wonder kind of being the new kind of template for the 2d mario and then you know open frontier for 3d i, I definitely think this is going to be the case with mario wonder i think that this this team and this crew have put together what feels like a really interesting template and blueprint for where 2d mario should go and we'll talk more about what that means in a little bit but my my feeling about odyssey and the 3d stuff specifically is like i think when odyssey came out the the prevailing sense after finishing it everyone was just like i can't wait for two years from now when they release a sequel to this like this is this is obviously going to be like galaxy where it's like galaxy comes out you play it you're like man there's so much more that they could do here and you can tell that nintendo recognized that also because they pretty quickly released a sequel and that seemed like that was going to be the case with odyssey but that came out in 2017 and here we are in 2023 and they still haven't done it and it makes me wonder if they're going to at all like it makes it makes me think that maybe what's coming next isn't odyssey 2 anymore like it's, the first, it's literally the first time i've thought that unless you know they've just been saving it for the second switch and it's gonna be a launch title on the second switch which would obviously make sense also like the if if they go the bowser's fury route and a lot of these levels are kind of like big more open expansive you can do it in any order kind of spaces then it makes sense that you would want a more powerful system to run something like that but i think in terms of the the side scrolling mario stuff whether you want to count mario maker or not like 
I do think it kind of leapfrogs a lot of the stuff that New Super Mario Brothers was doing. And again, this is coming from me, somebody who loved those games. Like, I really speak very highly of them. This just feels like this could have been the direction all along. But also, there's so much detail and so much time and effort packed into making every like second of this game feel fresh and reinvigorating and exciting that I don't know how you could have done something like this on like the DS, for example, when they wanted New Super Mario Brothers to come out. You know, like I, th- yeah. I, I think some of the stuff that they've accomplished here is stuff that just requires a level of dedication that like I, I, I can hardly fathom how they were able to make it work. It feels a lot to me like Tears of the Kingdom in like you're playing Tears of the Kingdom and you just kind of can't believe how much stuff is in that game and how much there is to do and how many side quests there are and like, oh my God, here's the depths and like I'm crawling around the depths and oh my god here's the sky and i'm hanging out in the sky and then all of hyrule is still there but it's changed just slightly it's like the amount of stuff that they managed to cram into tears of the kingdom is pretty staggering for a big open world zelda game and i feel that exact same sense of disbelief at super mario wonder i mean like the the biggest thing like one of the biggest things about this game that was in all the marketing is every single level has what's called a wonder seed that you can find And if you find the wonder seed, it changes the level in like a pretty dramatic way into either something completely different or like ratchets up whatever the like mechanic of that level is to a degree that it's almost like nonsensical. Um, I think I think like the most obvious best example is the second level of this game. You're running around and there's a bunch of piranha plants who are kind of like poking their heads out. And if you get a wonder seed, whenever the piranha plants stick their heads out, they start singing a song and it turns into a musical where you're like running through this level and avoiding piranha plants as they're like singing and walking around and like doing little dances and like making all the pipes kind of move around to the tune of what, of the song that they're singing. And that's just the second level of this game. And like every single level has something of of that caliber hidden away in it. That's remarkable. I mean, this game is also huge. Like each world is I don't even know how many levels it feels like way more than the usual four or eight, you know? Yeah, well, there's also a lot of optional stuff like the way it works. It kind of reminds me of 3D world where like you're navigating or even Super Mario World, like you're navigating that kind of like there are discrete worlds and there's sort of a central area that connects all of them. And uh, the wonder seeds, like you'll need a certain amount to like unlock the level that will allow you to progress to the next area, which is really nice that like there are a lot of ways to get wonder seeds. Like yeah. you, you usually can get two per level, one just by beating it normally and one by finding the wonder seed and doing whatever surreal adventure awaits you. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there are a bunch of like little trials that there's. And this is where it feels very Kirby Superstar. The the Wriggler races feel so much like the gourmet race. Oh, yeah. And uh, even the KO arenas, which like really do flex the mechanic of this game where I'm like, I don't like when I first saw that, I was like, what is this going to be like? Mm-hmm. How is this going to be fun? And the minute they threw enemies at me that I couldn't defeat normally, I had to use the environment to. Yeah. I was like, this is so stressful in a very fun way. Not to mention this is multiplayer. So like the idea of doing those with and I actually keep forgetting there's multiplayer because there's so much going on. Have you turned on the online like have you I have not oh my god Steven this like literally when we're done recording this episode you have to go do it (laughs) okay because I I had totally forgotten about it I made it through the entire first world before I remembered that this was an option but part of the marketing was like there's an almost death stranding thing going on in this game where if you turn on the network functions in the game it'll connect you to the internet and every time you start a level you start it alongside like a bunch of other people who are playing the game at the same time and you see them running around in the background as ghosts 
while you're playing the game. And if they take a hit or get damaged or die in any way, you can save them. And vice versa, if you die, they can save you. And you can also put these, as, as you were just mentioning, you can put these standees down, which you get to like unlock a whole bunch of them. So you can like kind of put down whatever character you want. So you get to put these standees down in places where you think like people have the most trouble. Almost like in a Dark Souls game, if people continue to use your standees, you get rewarded, which like in Dark Souls, if you put a if you put a message on the ground and somebody gives it a thumbs up, you get a, you get fully healed again. A similar thing in Mario Wonder for some reason, which is just an amazing thing. But just starting like the challenge levels, the ghosts are also there and starting the challenge levels and like watching the ghosts like get knocked off. It reminds me so much of uh, Mario Brothers 85, which we talked about a couple yeah. of weeks ago, um, where you're just like playing Mario against, you know, 84 other people. And it's really fun to watch to watch the like varying degrees of success that people have doing like some of the easier levels and some of the harder levels also like one of the ones I did right before we started recording right before we started this call I was doing uh, one of the challenge levels that I had kind of put off because each level has a difficulty rating from one to five stars and I'm, I'm also guessing that there's going to be six star levels or something like that like I think there's a lot of space between right rating and the amount of stars it does I also maybe I'll say this for later but I, I find sometimes the rating is not accurate Mm. Like there's a three star difficulty level that is full of these spiked beings that jump whenever you jump. And most of the time they are not on the map until you have jumped. <laughs> so I'm like, this is like objectively unfair. How is this not a force? Like that I died 17 times in that level, <laughs> which is 100% more than I normally die yeah that's not good math but you know what i mean anyway one, one of the levels that i was just in the middle of doing it was this five star challenge level it's a badge challenge level which for uh, people who haven't played the game yet you can equip these badges which will like give you extra abilities throughout the game yeah um, i want to talk more about that me, me, like, me too it, i yeah. think it's like its own section i totally like, agree yeah um but one of the one of the early badges you get is one that allows you to um add to the wall jump a thing where if you jump towards a wall and hit the wall jump, you can jump straight up instead of needing to like kick off as you do in every other Mario game ever. Um, you would normally like be jumping back and forth between walls. What this badge allows you to do is to jump towards a wall and then kick up and then kick off after that. So you get almost like an extra wall jump out of the whole deal. And there's a there's a five star challenge level using that badge. You have to have it equipped where it's just these thin little moving platforms all over the place and you need to try and make your way to the top. Uh, and it is excruciatingly difficult. I was saying to Stephen right before we started recording, it reminds me a lot of the Hollow Knight Path of Pain. And you were saying it reminded you of Celeste, which I totally feel as well. Yeah, but especially because it's like a mountain summit in that yeah, world as true. well. Too. Good, good point. Yeah. Um, but having the network features on and watching like 15 other people also trying to complete that at the same time as me, first of all, it's completely disorienting because it's hard to keep like when you have that many ghosts running around, it's kind of hard to keep track of yourself. But on top of that, like just watching people fall all the way to the bottom from like almost the top over and over and over. It's so brutal. It's really ugh, just that kind of stuff. Adding network features, adding the Mario Kart ghosts to regular Mario. Brilliant idea. It's a brilliant idea. Yeah, it feels, I think, the most modern Mario has felt in a very long time. Yeah, as you were saying, it, feel, it feels like kind of the first time that Mario is taking outside influence from other games. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, which I think that always, like, that's what Zelda did with Breath of the Wild, and that wildly paid off. Yeah. Like, I keep doing that by accident. <laughs> I can't wait to make her some lunch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having a bayonet a day. Um, anyway. 
So the badges. The badges. What I've noticed that's kind of interesting about this game, despite how surreal and at, at times overwhelming it can be with like the amount of stuff happening, the powers are actually fairly grounded. I'm on World 3 and there's elephant. There's the elephant power, which is great. Uh, but it's also fairly straightforward. Like it just kind of allows you to like break things. It, again, it reminds me a lot of the rhino in, in Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. You do get a projectile if you can soak up some water, which is fun. Yeah. The other new power that I've found is uh, like a bubble. It's like a fireball, but you can throw bubbles that like uh, trap enemies. You can also, I think, bounce on them to give you like another. Yes, you can jump on top of them. They also uh, like clip through walls. So if there's stuff hidden like oh. outside of the stage, you can use the bubble to like shoot outside of the stage technically and like hit a switch that's inaccessible by you. That's pretty cool. But yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I think the powers are like fun, but like kind of more utility based yeah and i think that was because i think for a lot of mario games there is always like what's the new power gonna be yeah and like it really was hard to match the heights of the cat suit in 3d worlds mm. but sometimes it's like all right do we need b mario has he given the world anything <laughs> other than humility i feel like i feel like in new super mario brothers you know you had the you had the giant mushroom which made you just like yes. giant mario and you could just go careen through the level and not need to worry about it at all which was fun but that seemed like more of a like a dopamine adrenaline hit than it yeah. did like something that was really useful on the flip side they also had the the tiny mushroom which allowed you to become really 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 small and like make your way into smaller gaps that actually felt like it had a lot of utility but outside of that i i kind of struggled to think of like a really interesting new power that came from the new super mario brothers games i guess like the the frozen flower as the opposite yeah. of fire flower but that even feels a little bit derivative like the bubble suit when you first get it it feels useless right away it feels yeah it feels useless you're like i don't understand what this is for and then the first time i like hit a switch that was outside of the level with the bubble i was like oh that's interesting and then the first time i hit the bubble and then checked to see if i could jump off of it and used it to like find a hidden secret somewhere i was like okay now i'm starting to get it and uh it, it just like it it has three mechanics to it and i feel like adds so many options to the world of Mario that I, I can't even fathom what we're going to see once I get to like the five star bubble Mario challenge, yeah. you know, but I, I bring up the powers being like a little bit more grounded because I think what they've added to this game that I think is one of the freshest additions is the badge system. Yeah. Basically what it does is as you play the game, you can either buy badges from like, there are these like flower people. I love when they get happy, their heads bloom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, there are these flower people that uh, have shops around the map and uh, there are two different coins you get that like, you get the traditional you know golden coins yellow coins uh you get a one up if you get a hundred but you also get these purple i guess they're wonder i think they're coins. wonder coins yeah yeah um and those are like the currency of the game no microtransactions don't worry but uh could you imagine i have to specify that when i say you can buy things in the game now i feel mm. Yeah. Anyway, there are these stores that are fictitious that you go to talk to these flower people and you can buy badges. Usually like every world will have like a new badge you can buy. You can also, I think, get some by just doing the trials associated with them. Uh, so right now I have I have around like seven badges and some of them are pretty straightforward and some of them like fundamentally change how the game works so the first one you get is like a parachute where you can jump and then you pull out a big like hat or something and yeah. you kind of just glide yeah you use, you use your hat as a parachute yeah exactly which at least if you're playing as mario or luigi i wonder if like peach and daisy have the have the uh umbrella 
I've been playing as Blue Toad, and he has like a weird blue cap he pulls out of nowhere. That's fun. Whenever they let me play as Toad, I do. I don't fully know why. I feel like I have an unknown pact with him that I don't remember signing. <laughs> but the the characters, it's worth noting, Mario, Luigi, Daisy, Peach, and the Toads all play the same. I was wondering if there was like a Mario 2 where like Luigi jumped higher. Yeah, they're all exactly the same. They all, which I kind of, I kind of like that. I mean, it'd be, it, it would maybe be a little too much variety if there was also character changes, but yeah. they all play the same. The two streamlining um, things that, and I think removing the timer from levels, like I think those are both great choices. Yeah. And that, that's what, um, like getting the wonder seed reminds me of Yoshi's Island in that way, because like there would be moments in Yoshi's Island where you would get, like you would find a block that turned you into a helicopter, you know, or something like really surreal. But otherwise those levels were, as far as I remember, were, were no time limit, which kind of let you like actually explore and think about the space more, which this game does too. Yeah. Like in the wonder sequences or in some of the trials, there is like, there might be a time limit to get to like encourage you to do something, but otherwise the levels can be kind of navigated freely. Mm. Anyway, so yeah, those characters play normally. And then there's uh, Nabbit and the Yoshis, which they can't die from like enemies or fire, but uh, they can't use power ups. I kind of wish that was just an option you could toggle on or off because I really wanted to play as Yoshi, but I then uh, learned that I couldn't use the elephant power. And I'm like, kind of want to see elephant Yoshi. Yeah. You know? uh, that's, that's also interesting to think about because I, I feel like so many of the secrets and so much of the progression of the kind of like macro side of the game comes from using the powers to unlock those secrets and i I wonder if all of them are actually solvable without like could you go to a a stage that is definitely supposed to use the elephant suit and find all the secrets and unlock everything in the game without being able to use the elephant suit like you might not be able to i think that might be the trade-off which is kind of interesting and in the yoshis do they do the like jump so they do play a little bit different oh okay interesting i was like man this is like (laughs) <laughs> Yoshi's Island 2, finally, and then I couldn't use the elephant. I was just thinking about, like, what is Nabbit's thing? Like, I yeah. think <laughs> just, he just smokes cigars. <laughs> yeah. Wait, which game is Nabbit from? Uh, I Oh, my God. I don't even remember at this point. What, I need to look it up. Maybe he might be uh, 3D World or 3D Land. I get him confused with the weird guy that sells you stuff in Link Between Worlds. They have a similar energy. They do have a similar energy. I think they have a similar energy on purpose, if I recall. Uh, he was introduced in New Super Mario Brothers U. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's a bit of a stretch. Why? Like, Is Waluigi not in this game? Waluigi's not in this game. Neither is Wario. He got bumped from by Nabbit? Yeah. Like, Isn't that that's bizarre? pathetic. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just I want to know what Nabbit's like special thing is. Blue Toad is like having the time of his life. I actually forgot that Mario was an option because it feels like this feels like a Toad game <laughs> <It's>, for some <laughs> reason. And Super Toad Wonder. Yeah. He he is I know we talk about Toad's like voice a lot, but like when he dies, it's like a blood curdling scream. <laughs> it, catch, it catches me off guard every time because the whole game is like so like overtly kid friendly. And then it's like, I also we, really we were love... talking about how um, how when, whenever like so they got they got new voices for Mario. It's not Charles Martinet anymore uh, yeah. for, for Mario and Luigi. And whenever you get the elephant suit in the game, Mario goes, wow, he's out. Yeah, it's Toad. What the hell? Toad also goes, wowie, towie. Uh, It's like the quote everyone has. (laughs) It's so funny. It's so silly. It reminds me of when I found out when I was playing Fire Emblem Engage, like every one of the starting characters critical hit line is it's tea time. I'm like, (laughs) this is chilling. Like, I don't think we're playing as the good guys. But yeah, I... 
so the badges like the you know the first one you get is the parachute and then there are some too that will just be like oh like you get more coins or like yeah the one i used actually for a while was that one was every time you kill an enemy you get a bunch of coins and i was like let me just use that for a couple levels and then just get a bunch of one-ups and, yeah. and then switch to something else it's actually like it's kind of interesting how like by adding the shops and by by the game generally being pretty difficult which i'll talk more about in a second yeah. i think there's like actually like this is one of the first mario games where coins have monetary value yeah where i'm thinking about like, oh i actually might need to go back to that level just to get like more stuff right uh to get the badge that i want but yeah so there's the more coins <laughs> i badge. keep taking you off track you're just trying to talk about what badges you have no, it's so okay. sorry. no 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 it's totally fine i mean that's that's the that's what this conversation like talking about this game will take you off track there's no way to focus your thoughts That's on Mario point. Wonder. But my two favorite badges, actually my three favorites uh, are, one is the wall jump which you mentioned, which like sounds small but it really like, once you have that equipped, I always feel a little bit powerless without it. Mm. Like It always throws me off that I don't have that power anymore. Another one that sounds maybe like not super interesting but is great and is really helpful for like teaching you where secrets are is the exclamation point block. I can't believe this is a badge. Yeah, so there's a badge that essentially it doesn't like fully explain what it actually does, I think. So I want to I want to consider this badge if you will. It says like it will add exclamation blocks to a level. What that actually means is like it will add blocks that will sometimes help you. So like they might put blocks to give you like another place to jump in like a harder gap they might put blocks like behind or above an enemy so they can't reach you yeah but most importantly is they will put blocks that lead you to secret paths in a level so like there are so many secrets there there are secret worlds that i haven't discovered yet but like parts of a level that will give you like this like leaf that sends you up into the sky of like a bonus level those blocks will like lead you to those types of areas yeah. so it's a great way to like not have to google where <laughs> secrets are yeah you can just turn on that badge and, and i've honestly like that's the badge i use when i'm going into a level for the first time mm. I'm like i just want to see the layout and then maybe i'll switch to a different badge once i know where things are yeah that's interesting yeah i i posted this on threads the other day but i i feel like one of the most amazing things about this game and, and the exclamation block badge really kind of led me to this is like every time I'm making my way through a stage, if I ever at any point think to myself like, oh, this is a pretty normal Mario level. I mean, it's always good. It's always a good normal Mario level. But whenever I think to myself, this is a pretty normal Mario level, that means that I have missed something pretty huge. Yeah. Like every single time there's, I we talk about this all the time. Go listen to any episodes where we talk about a Mario game like this. But Nintendo is so good at doing the like introduce a mechanic, have it for a couple levels and then move on, you know, right when you, you know, leave them wanting more essentially. That is every single stage of this game, generally speaking. Like every yeah. stage introduces a pretty like dramatically new mechanic or idea and sometimes it'll take you until the end of a stage to even understand that there was a mechanic you could have been engaging with and i think yeah. that's what adds to as you were saying the desire to go back and replay any of this stuff at all um i, I think the amount of like replay value in some of these levels is pretty staggering because sometimes you'll go in and completely miss the wonder seed you know before you get to the end or on the flip side what is even more fascinating is sometimes not getting the wonder seed is actually better for you you know if you if you go through the level without getting it the first time um you'll have like a completely different experience with a stage that is so interesting and the exclamation 
blocks really just kind of point out, I think, how staggering it is or, or sorry, how, how staggering it is that they have managed to fit so much in every single level. And that's that's why early on in the episode, I really drew that comparison to Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo, because that's the other side scrolling Mario game that I think of when I think of like a, an unbelievable amount of hidden stuff in levels that yeah. seem completely normal. Like, yeah, you, you so frequently make your way through a level in Super Mario World and have no conception of the idea that there was a second entire Mario level floating above or below you the entire time. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it really is. The, the exclamation blocks kind of weirdly remind me of Neon White as well. Where like in those levels, they would be kind of like a forecasted like best route. Yeah, to like get the best time. And I it almost feels like asking the developers like what else is here, and then being like here's kind of like a a, a, a vague where, idea, yeah, a vague idea of where you should head. Yeah. So I recommend getting that that badge. The other badge I just got that is wild lets me jump once off of lava or spikes or okay uh, every time i fall so like if i fall i get one bounce off of a hazardous like do you have to hit the jump button or do you just bounce off I can't fully remember. Mm. I need to go back and do it, but I, I'm pretty sure you have to actively jump or maybe you just bounce off of it automatically. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, that's cool, though. But just conceptually, I think that really like I can see speed runs of this game with that badge, just like booking it and knowing exactly like where to jump. Oh, off yeah. Of one thing. The other the other badge that's worth bringing up is like the most merciful idea they could have thought of, which is the dolphin kick when you're in the water. Yes. It, which just uh, while you're in the water, you can press uh, one of the shoulder buttons and you just kind of do this like big propelled kick in any direction. So you're not just at the whims of the Mario water level physics as you always are. You can Yeah, you can tell like that was maybe like one of the first ideas on the whiteboard for this team. It's like water levels suck. Why? Yeah. And they like added that mechanic. Yeah. It's awesome. But yeah, it, I, but I think it's so interesting that so many of these badges dramatically change what you have at your disposal. And all of the stages have been built with all of the badges in mind, it seems like. That's, yeah. I, that's I think, the thing that surprises me the most, like specifically pointing at the exclamation point or the, the exclamation uh, block badge. Like that's one of those ones where they had to go into literally every single level they made in this game and add the exclamation blocks where they thought it would be fun. And there are players who will never equip that badge once, you know? Um, yeah. And similarly, all of the water levels, they need to account for the fact that somebody might have the dolphin kick badge the whole time, which means that any breakable blocks they put in that level will be totally moot because you could just dolphin kick right through them. Stuff like that, I think, is so interesting. The, the amount of variables that they need to account for. And that's that's what gets me back to my Tears of the Kingdom comparison is like Tears of the Kingdom is one of those games where you need to account for the fact that people might have explored all of the depths before they even go to the sky once or vice versa. And that's that's pretty remarkable you know it's like a Baldur's gate three level amount of stuff you need to you need to think about while designing all these levels and it's so remarkable that like it's this genre that feels that fresh you know yeah, i think right. it's, it's so hard to make like we we are almost numb to side-scrolling platformers at this point you kind of it's do... like if mcdonald's put out the best new burger <laughs> you know yeah I, I i had a moment when i uh so like the the boss fights so far have been against iterations of Bowser Jr., who's one of my favorite Mario characters. I always love when he shows up. He's so funny in this game, too. Yeah. 
It also it's, it's never they never like fully commit if he's Bowser's son or not, which makes it very like is he just claiming to be? They like, do even, in like marketing, but never in games, and that makes me wonder if it's like canon or not. He's he calls Bowser his dad in Wonder, yeah, but in other games it feels like he's just like the adoring fan of Bowser. <laughs> I, I I like the ambiguity. He yeah. calls Peach his mom too at one point in Sunshine. So yeah. there's a lot of question marks about his origin. <laughs> anyway, not to get too down that rabbit hole that rabbit hole yeah oh okay dear listener just know that that can't be the title but if it could be (laughs) that would have been it (laughs) why can't it be the nabbit hole oh yeah it's a little off yeah i'm not i'm not gonna do that (laughs) okay so there was a point during one of the bowser jr boss fights (laughs) where like it's pretty straightforward. Like Mario bosses tend to be fairly simple. I mean, I think Odyssey is probably one of the more complex, like boss centric Mario games, given how you can possess things. And, you know, um, also Spewart's introduction yeah, is why Spewart. the game is rated M <laughs> <laughs> vomiting on the floor. But uh, that's why they haven't made a sequel to that game yet. Yeah, like We can't make another rated M. Mario. We have to bring, we have to find a way to bring Spewart back. No, thanks. Yeah. Keep him in the fucking somewhere box. in the contract. is like you either have to kill him on camera or bring him back. <laughs> so we can't do either. We don't want him back, but we certainly don't want to kill him. Do you know how much art he'll spew? Um, anyway, I <laughs> the Bowser Jr. fight. I it, it feels just like the Super Mario World fights where like mm-hmm. there's a Koopa kid and you wait for the time to jump on them. But I had a moment where I'm like, there are so many mechanics happening simultaneously. Yeah. Here. Like those fights where it starts off pretty straightforward. Like he tries to spin at you, you jump on him and then he'll use the wonder power to like change the area. So in the first one, he makes himself like really big and then he makes you really big. And like, it's like gravity is different. And like the height in which like the shell bounces up depending on your size is different. There's a later one where he changes the area from like molasses to ice. And it's like, Again, like it sounds super simple and it is, but it's like for all that to like feel good and look good and like work mechanically, there's like eight different things happening at once for this like boss fight that didn't have to go this hard. Yeah. The whole thing lasts maybe three minutes. Yeah. But it just feels like you get a level's worth of ideas in that three minutes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, And I... Look, this is in every single review of the game, so excuse me for just repeating it, but I I think the thing about this game is that you literally never know what's going to happen next and you need yeah. you need to just be on your toes at all times. Yeah, and then that's actually my my only real critique so far is that I find sometimes the wonder seed like every now and then the idea is so out there it takes me like a few times to even know what they want me to do yeah and that can be frustrating but I I would accept that trade-off for there to be new ideas but like there's <laughs> there's a wonder area that just makes toad really long and <laughs> like that's it it's like you're just really long you look like limbo you're like a shadow of yourself and you look super long and it's tricky to avoid things and i'm like this was maybe not the best idea like mechanically this is oops you're too big for the level yeah uh which is like funny and i'm sure like in multiplayer it would be like chaotic in a fun way but i'm like this wasn't really utilizing mechanics super well just annoying but again it's like most of the time there's a wild idea like there's one where the perspective changes the top down and that like actually blew my mind oh my god so cool yeah 
So like overall, they're really good. But every now and then there's like a new idea that like will probably never be done again for good reason. Yeah. Tall Toad is one of them. Yeah. Um, I, it, may, it makes me wonder if they'll ever try and do a Super Mario Maker based off of this. Like, I just think you can't. <laughs> it might be. It might actually like explode. There's just too many. I think it might be an impossibility or you could just I mean, you can't add the Wonder Seeds, obviously. So like, what's the point? I also think at that point, just like learn like Game Maker. Like there would be. <laughs> Like, I feel like if you were to yeah. make Mario Wonder Maker, you're just actually a developer at that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's amazing. The other thing, too, which I've, I've kind of warmed up to a little bit. Uh, so divisively, there are talking flowers in this game. Oh, yeah. They have like the head of like a trumpet, but they're a little flower and they talk and... By default, they'll match whatever language your system is. So for us, it was English. And at first, I hated them. I'm like, this is so... Something about a character in a Mario game being like, good luck out there. I was like, ugh! Like it, just, <laughs> it was like that scene in one of the Pokemon movies where Pikachu starts talking. And it's like, the whole audience is like, ah! Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, it's a little bit uncanny. And I, you know, I, I would say if we recorded this segment yesterday i would say that this game feels much more for a younger audience which i think is true like in tone it feels like in addition to all the things we've been talking about i do think there was a clear effort to be like could this be someone's first mario game yeah you know and i think it can be but it, it is a little bit weird to begin the game with like a very overtly kid-friendly tone and have these talking flowers being like isn't it fun to play mario uh and then like quickly become super meat boy like even without <laughs> doing the optional stuff again like, just super mario 3d world had a similar thing where like the difficulty ramps up pretty quickly but i think i mean honestly like at this point i think most kids playing this game have like watched speed runs on youtube and i think like <laughs> I would guess the general vocabulary for games for a younger audience has risen pretty high. So I don't think anyone would like struggle with this game, but I, and I, I did, I think Nintendo's strength is that they make games for all ages that respect the audience. Yeah. You know, as much as I think the tone is very like, Oh, Hey, like it's your first video game. Have a fun time. It's not going to like dumb the game down for that audience. I think it's also, also worth considering the games that we played when we were kids also yeah. were like on the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis, which were, which were brutally difficult, brutally, yeah. brutally difficult because a lot of those game design tenants had come from arcades, right? Where like the whole idea was to just get as many quarters as possible. Yeah. So you would just die over and over and over again. Like I will never forget trying to play the Batman forever game and like never making it past <laughs> the second level as a kid. There was almost a romance to that. Like I remember being a kid and being like, I'll just never beat this level. And it's almost like comforting to like learn that limits exist. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Or when you finally do, it's like, Oh my God, like my sister and I finally beat Donkey Kong country too. Yeah. You know, like it's amazing. There's, um, there's this, uh, I think I've talked about it on the show before, but there's this Mickey game for the Sega genesis that i it's just called the the timeless adventures of mickey mouse where you just go through mickey's like entire cartoon history so the first level is like steamboat willie and then you just kind of like move on through all the like famous episodes of the mickey mouse cartoon that existed over the years and famously every christmas eve all of my cousins would come over like throughout the 90s and early 2000s and we would all just try and 
beat the Mickey game and we could never get past like the third or fourth level. Like we could just never do it. And a lot of that is due to the game controlling horribly. Like a lot of that is, you know, just because they just hadn't quite figured out the platforming. As you said, right at the top of the episode, like it was just another company trying to make a Mario and not doing very well. Um, But that is the game that has stuck in my brain for the longest amount of time. And even to this day, every once in a while at like a Christmas Eve or a family gathering, people will be like, hey, do you have some way for us to play the Mickey game? You know, like we still think about it all the time. And when I consider stuff like that, like these impossible to beat games that just stuck with us for, you know, 30 plus years or whatever, I think Super Mario Wonder is like a great addition to that canon for kids who are playing now. Like, yes, the game can be very difficult, even if you're playing as Nabbit, who takes a break to smoke a cigar every time he sees a wonder seed. <laughs> that's, that's his cool new trait. Um, but I, th- I think there's kind of a charm to being unable to beat it in some ways. And it's encouraging, like even in that, like the moment the voice flowers kind of grew on me was they actually are helpful. Yeah. In that, uh, that trial of the wall jump, they go like, take a deep breath, you know, like mm. you'll get through this. And then They'll also be like, was there something you missed? Like, they'll kind of yeah. say out loud, like, oh, you might have missed a Wonder Seed. Um, and someone in the Discord recommended changing the voice to Italian. Do it. It it actually makes the game better. Uh, okay, I got to do it. I think it's a, one, the Italian voice actor for the flowers feels like they're in the world. And they're always like a little scared, which is perfect. Because <laughs> I think that's the, the thing that threw me off was that the English one felt like it was an approximation of what my parent would be telling me over my shoulder. And that made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. It's a little like flowey adjacent to, yes, to be. Maybe that's, I just don't trust talking flowers like implicitly. Yeah. I think, I think to be in a world that wants you to die so badly and have it be like, ha are you ready yeah. to have some fun? It's like, I, I don't trust you. One it's killer be killed. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, um, I'll just say I do like the flower a lot. Like I I I've not really had a problem with him at all. But uh, I am excited to change the voice to Italian and see what that's like. It's amazing, and I also like as Faye would have it. Like a lot of my friends and family are having kids right now, and I had been thinking about like this would be so fun to play with someone as their first Mario game. Mm. Like I'm gonna be an uncle in a couple months, which is very exciting. Yeah. And I'm like, this might be the first Mario game I like show them when they're old enough. Totally. Which is which is a really nice feeling that I haven't had like ever before. Because mm. <laughs> uh, usually it's like this game's for babies, and I'm like, this game's for babies, but I know a baby, you know. <laughs> so I can show it to them and they can learn about games. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's it's. I was about to say it's wonderful, and I stopped myself. It's really good. I love this game. It's a good game ever since the 1980s mario has been wonderful but did they ever stop to wonder what could be next (laughs) Ah! all right you want to take a break in this review i will tell you (laughs) how i felt about super mario wonder the new game for the nintendo switch also i whoever like i feel like the the sort of i don't even know who would be like item design in mario games but like the look and feel of getting a wonder seed feels so good yeah it's like i don't know what it is psychologically the weird like like, distortion that happens around the seed itself yeah like even more than getting stars it just feels good to get a wonder seed yeah and it feels like man you've designed this game so well that like just getting an item is fun i i will say maybe maybe the one I don't I don't even know what to say about this. Like this isn't a gripe, this isn't anything, but you have to play this game with the sound on also. Like you have to. Mm. The music is great, the sound design is amazing, and I just I had a moment over the weekend where I I, I was staying with my parents for a couple of days 
uh, just visiting them for a bit. And we were watching something on the TV and I was like, oh, I'm going to play some Mario Wonder like while we wind down and ha- have the TV on. And I played like halfway through a level and it's like, this feels wrong. This feels wrong to not have the sound <laughs> on for it. Uh, so I just put it down. Also, we didn't say this at all. Just like the game looks amazing. Like the, the, does, the yeah. art direction of this game, like the expressiveness of all the characters is on a completely different level. One of the most amazing things, and I don't know if this is just a Luigi thing or not, but I've been playing the whole game as Luigi. But uh, whenever you go into a pipe to like end a level or something, um, he'll do the Indiana Jones thing where his hat falls off as he gets into the pipe. And like at the last second, he reaches his hand out to grab oh, the hat awesome. before it, before he goes through the pipe. Stuff like that. Just like amazing. And, it, and it's everywhere. It's like every single square inch of the game has that kind of attention to detail in its animations whenever toad blue toad becomes elephant blue toad i go all right everybody listen up like <laughs> instinctually like i i run digs around here like this is the way he kind of yeah proudly runs he's great we should definitely play this game together at some point i really want to yeah i, th- I think yeah. we gotta play multiplayer yeah i want to i want to do some couch co-op and i want to do some online play because yeah. it just seems so fun also you and i both have the oled switch and it looks ridiculous on the OLED switch like it really it it is like the technical showcase for how good the OLED switch looks I think it also like the the design of the characters in the world also feels like an acknowledgement of like modern design like it kind of feels very like modern cartoon network or even like spider-verse in some ways yeah the worst case scenario of this as you and i said wait before it was even announced and there were rumors that there was a new mario game coming out like the worst case version of this was that it was going to be based on the movie yeah designs which are not terrible to be clear but like they're fine for what that movie is i wouldn't i wouldn't want to play a game with that art style though no, no. This like, feels more like yeah. It feel it feels like there's there's kind of like a surrealness to a lot of stuff for kids right now that this feels like it's matching. Yeah, like Spider Verse or what that uh, Ninja Turtles movie. It almost yeah. feels more like that, in my opinion. I I agree with you. Yeah, I think you're totally right. the The last thing I'll say this is kind of unrelated to Mario Wonder, but I'm just thinking about it because I just turned around and saw it. Just one quick hardware update. So I I've talked on the show a bunch recently about the Hori Split Pad Compact, which I got for my trip to Japan, um, which were like. The the joy cons that just kind of make the switch feel more ergonomic i still love them to be clear i'm a big fan i did out of curiosity uh because i was t- i was talking to cracked which is the name of the company that makes the nitro deck about possibly getting a nitro deck before i went to japan and just to be totally on it i mean, like they totally ghosted me like they just stopped responding to my emails which is Damn. fine whatever i ended up buying one myself with my own money so just to be clear they did not send me one i bought one with my own money and i've been playing super mario wonder with it and it's very interesting if you're a person i'll, I'll just say this if, if you're curious about the nitro deck as as a as a peripheral it really does make your switch just feel more like a steam deck like in almost every single way i got the like cool gamecube one that is colored like a gamecube like it's purple it has the yellow right stick, kind of like the C stick. The the buttons are colored the same way the GameCube uh, controller buttons are colored. It feels really good in the hand. It feels like pretty bulky and interesting. You can't dock it anymore, which kind of sucks, which is like a big negative compared to the split pad stuff. But all in all, it's like a pretty interesting thing. I've seen a lot of kind of issues that people have had with it online in terms of it's like just some of its functionality not working correctly or like putting your switch in there and it getting just totally stuck. Like there's when you put your switch in, it gets locked in then you have to like press a button to unlock it before you can remove it. I've seen some people say that unlock button just doesn't work on their Nitro deck and their their switch is just stuck in there, which is pretty rough. But I, I think, as I've mentioned before, as when we were talking about the split pad stuff, like I'm just curious why it took so long to start getting really interesting peripherals like this for the switch and i'm hoping that a lot of these companies that are making these kinds of things like the split pad and like the nitro deck just kind of like 
put the pedal to the metal when the next switch comes out. Like I would love to, I would love to start the switch Two generation with something like this, like having a much more viable way of playing in handheld. You don't want to pay $60 for a new N64 controller that you have to pay an annual subscription to use. Absolutely fucking not Steven. Uh, <laughs> All right. Point taken. I just want more interesting stuff. And it's funny that the switch has been out for seven years and now we're getting it, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, if you're interested in the nitro deck, uh, I think I think my my big my big thing is just like if you like the Steam Deck then go for it and if not like just don't get it because the next Switch is going to come out soon. I don't know why my brain gave me this image, but I was just thinking about like the new Switch controllers and just like a big bowl of soup with two Joy Cons. <laughs> you have to grab onto like two matzo balls in the soup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I matzo I'm ball very, drift. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's my least favorite wonder level is when you get the wonder seed in a big matzo ball that starts rolling in. <laughs> Man, now I want matzo ball soup. It's delicious. Damn, should we let's take a break and I'll get some matzo ball soup. Sounds good. See you soon. Bye bye. Wonderful. Wow, he's that way. Hey, Brendan. Hey, Stephen. You know what's very surreal? What's surreal? This is the last spooky season of the year. Oh, my God. It went by so quickly. It did go by really, really weirdly quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, October is always a busy month for us, and I feel like it always goes by very fast because of that. Yeah. But fear not, uh, we do have a few more Halloween-appropriate games for you all. I have been playing one on Switch. That's a game that we brought up last summer in our big DS season premiere. It's Ghost Trick Phantom Detective, which this year got ported to the Switch and I believe other modern consoles as well, uh, which I'm so happy about because this is one of our favorite games on the DS and that we both highlighted on that episode. And I think specifically, interestingly, was one of the games that we highlighted because of how well it used the hardware of the Nintendo DS. Yes. Which is funny that it has now been ported to a bunch of consoles that don't have touchscreens on them. Yeah, this was available. It looks like it's on everything now. It's on Switch, PS4, Xbox One. It's on Steam as well, which is great. And yeah, this was uh, also on mobile. So it was like backed up there. The mobile version was was good. Yeah, I was hoping that Capcom would port this because like it just they're usually very good at backing up their library. And this is sort of the one that was like a little bit less available. But uh, they ported it to modern consoles this year. I've been playing it on Switch, which does have the touch if you want to use it on the screen. But I've just been playing it docked on the TV and it's honestly it works perfectly. So the way the game worked on the DS, which I'll explain the mechanics in a bit, but like there was sort of a touchpad sequence on the bottom and then you could kind of see what happens on the top. It actually works pretty seamlessly just all on one screen. And I think the biggest bonus of having this on modern consoles is getting the soundtrack on like full speakers. Oh, yeah. It's hard to describe the look and sound of this game, but it's created by the same uh, person who made the Ace Attorney series uh, shoot takumi it very much has an ace attorney feel to it and like the tone and the music and the animation like in a lot of the ace attorney games like a lot of them are sort of visual novel and structure so characters will talk to you and they'll have kind of like three or four absurd animation cycles they switch between but this game is like fully animated in 3d but they still kind of behave that way so like 
every character kind of just has like like there's a character who just dances wherever he goes yeah and that's like his shtick and the animation style it looks almost cell shaded also kind of looks like a lot of early point and click games but the animation like they must have done some like body motion capture of some kind because it's just so fluid yeah and that is like that was like mind boggling on the ds but it still looks so impressive on on like the tv on a modern console i don't really have much more to say it's a hard game to talk about without spoiling because the premise of the game is that you are a ghost of someone who has been murdered and you don't know who you are and the main objective is you have a day to figure out who killed you and why before your soul perishes but you also learn that you have ghost trick uh this power that allows you to manipulate and possess objects and the way the game works is like every level is basically like you either need to get information or prevent a murder from happening by manipulating objects in the environment. So you're essentially like manufacturing a Rube Goldberg machine to prevent the murder from happening. And it does require like the 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 way the game opens, it's a lot of like world explanation and mechanic explanation. But once you kind of get through that, it, it really becomes so hard to put down because the central mystery is like genuinely gripping. And like all the Ace Attorney games, the characters are just so lovable. And so they're so funny and cartoonish, but they're all grounded in real emotion. And it's hard not to like, it's one of those games where like you will feel a whole width of emotion you know you'll laugh you'll cry you'll have the whole thing yeah uh, it's also like 10 hours yeah it's short i i highly recommend it it's also fun to replay because there is so much blatant foreshadowing of like yes the big reveal that you'll you'll like facepalm when you see it because it's like they're not even hiding it but you wouldn't it's like it reminds me of 13 sentinels in that way right where there's so much you just don't pick up on the first time because why would you but once you have all the information you're like it was right in front of me the whole time. Yeah. Uh, which is amazing. So it's, if you are a fan of Ace Attorney and you haven't played Ghost Trick, like top of your list, like play it tonight. You'll have the best time with it. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad they put it out everywhere. I forgot to mention this, but when I was in Japan, uh, I was waiting, I was waiting to enter the Nintendo store in, in Tokyo because you have to like get a ticket and wait in line. You have like a, they give you like a time to come back because there's so many people who want to get in that they need to like limit access to who can be in there uh, probably for like fire code reasons. But anyway, around the Nintendo store are a bunch of other stores. There's like the Pokemon store, which you can go in and check out. Um, but there's also a Capcom store that they had there. And in the Capcom store, I guess it was like right around when Ghost Trick relaunched on all these platforms, but they had a whole wall of Ghost Trick like merch, which I was like, that's awesome. I, I'm amazed enough that they decided to put the game out again, but to produce merch for it as well on the side this of it. This is kind of like Capcom's Earthbound, I feel. Yeah. Like there's a very devoted fandom to it. Yeah. I mean, it came out like at the very end of the DS, so I feel like it. It's one of those games that like did very well critically, but like kind of was that like an awkward time. Yeah. And I feel like the reverence for it has only grown since then. Mm. Um, but it does. I mean, it, kind of like how the Ace Attorney games were made for DS, but work really well on modern consoles. The same is true for Ghost Trick. Yeah. So if you don't have a DS and you don't want to play it on mobile, you can now play it elsewhere, which is great because it's it's a wonderful time. Yeah. Th this is, I think, one of those must play games like you really like if, if we were making a curriculum for the into the Aether college course, <laughs> this is one of them. This Absolutely. is one of the games yeah. I would add to it. Yeah, I think it's also like a really brilliant deconstruction of point and click. Like it almost feels like 
it is reimagining point and click mechanically as like a you know otherworldly force where pointing and clicking is like a ghost's power in the world yeah and it also like i'm kind of hoping like shutakumi a while ago sort of like nodded at the possibility of a crossover where like phoenix Wright dies and then the character from this game like helps him out i would love that i don't want phoenix Wright to die but i would love <laughs> i would love to see these characters interact because yeah. there was that um there was a phoenix Wright and professor layton crossover i haven't played it but i i've been meaning to and i just I would love to see also like if you were to veer into the other worlds and like I wonder if they would do both art styles where you could see like the Phoenix Wright characters in the Ghost Trick art style and vice mm. versa. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'd love that. Yeah. That's Ghost Trick. It's out on it's everything. Ghost Trick. It's out on everything. You can get it. It's great. You can play it. Uh can I talk <laughs> can I can I talk about uh another game? <laughs> you can play it. You can play it. It sounds like a like a <laughs> failed 90s video game magazine like game edge you can play it you, you can know, like, play it you can play it um <laughs> i'm sorry if game edge actually exists that's just the first thing that, that came game up. edge probably does exist right yeah i'm gonna google this game spaghetti you can play it i don't think it does there's edge magazine but there's there not edge specifically magazine. game edge yeah okay. i also i, I would want it to it there's a big e like a cool S version of an E, but there's only one, so it's like Gamage. You can play it. <laughs> Just the Enron logo. <laughs> <laughs> Why did this work out? Oh, I see. Um, uh, <laughs> you have another game in this section, don't you? You can. Play if it. we ever start like an editorial aspect of Into the Aether again, I think we gotta call it Game Edge. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. Uh, Game Edge. Hey, shout out to the folks at Remap Radio, by the way, for starting their website where they're writing about video games again. That's, that was very cool of them. Uh, but awesome. sorry that we're immediately entering the ring as competitors with Game Edge. <laughs> I do really love, like, we have a, a medium where our old newsletter is. And, like, I think we'll probably still every now and then post things there. There was a time where that was more regular. But I do, I'm very proud of that section. But I am also very excited for the future of Game Edge. Yeah, I do have I do have a, a, an idea I've been mulling over for a long time about how to get back into writing for us. Uh, Hell yeah! One day, hopefully. More on that soon. Yeah, you can write it. You could write it. You could you read it. it. Bop it. All right, we got to move on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna give a quick shout out to a, a mobile game that's wonderful for spooky season. Uh, it's called Kingdom Eighties. If you have not played the Kingdom games, I I've talked about them in the past. I think when I was stuck in France with COVID, it was one of the games that I played and brought to the show in that episode where I had to uh, record from a dusty uh, closet that uh, just made me cough and sneeze and wheeze the whole time. Again, <laughs> shout out to AJ for editing all that stuff out. So you probably don't even know what I'm talking about, dear listener. But Kingdom is a game. Uh, uh, where just has this like really beautiful art style. It's kind of a high fantasy thing. It's um, this really, really intricate pixel art. I think I've described it in the past. I'll describe it again. as kind of like the logical endpoint of the Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP art style. It's like, what if what if they kept making games in that art style? You would eventually land at what the team behind Kingdom has figured out. Um, the, the first game initially was called Kingdom Two Crowns. Um, and the whole deal is, uh, again, this like high fantasy world where you are some kind of royalty and you just ride your horse kind of back and forth this flat 2d plane and you need to continue building up this uh this like castle and the walls and 
like literally just build up this little kingdom. But around the edges of the kingdom are a bunch of like weird side quests and things where like kind of wordlessly you'll need to, you know, like give a coin or two to this person standing in the middle of the woods and they'll come back with like a unicorn or something. And the unicorn you use to unlock something else and something else and something else. It almost has like an idle or incremental game energy to it, but it isn't one of those. It is like a very active thing. And along the edges of the world that you can traverse are these portals through which these kind of like dark beings are coming out of and you need to continue building up your castle walls and and the and the space on this 2d plane that your castle takes up to defend against these creatures that are trying to you know break it all down and and destroy it all um and i like that game a lot and it's done very well and that that team has done a great job like maintaining that game and they've done a couple expansions where they kind of like reskin the game to look like different kinds of mythologies like there's like a norse version if i recall correctly there's just like a bunch of different versions of the kingdom games which I, i i think is very cool and the latest version of it that they've released is kingdom 80s and it is like straight up like an 80s vhs kind of like monster thriller where you play as like a kid who's riding back and forth on a bike around like a playground and in a campsite and has just like kind of a paper almost like burger king crown on his head um (laughs) and it plays almost exactly the same way so if you haven't played these games the whole thing is almost essentially wordless like you need you need to personally pick up on what the mechanics of the game are you need to figure out how you're going to generate wealth and generate money and what you're going to spend that money on and you can like mess up like there are ways to spend money in the wrong ways and then find yourself kind of hopelessly lost and then overrun by dark creatures or whatever. But what I found about Kingdom 80 specifically is, first of all, I mean, it just looks amazing. Like they've taken everything that worked about the other versions of the game and just made it work again, but in an 80s setting instead of kind of like a high fantasy or like mythological standpoint. Um, it it feels almost like if they wanted to, they could have pitched to Netflix that this could be a Stranger Things game and like that would have worked out very yeah. well for them, I think. But I, I have found this weirdly of all the versions of the game I played to be the most engaging one. I don't know what it is, but like some of the side quests, there's like a girl who's stuck in like a fire watch tower and she's like, hey, if you if you can build your your walls of your campsite to be uh, enclosing around this fire watch tower, then like maybe I'll help you out in terms of like how to figure out you know, when these beasts are coming and how to fight them. There's another one where there's like this kid um, who I think is like, you know, the the captain of the high school football team who is like kind of downtrodden because the creatures like broke into his uh, space and stole his trophy. And he's like, why do they want my trophy? Like, this is the one thing <laughs> that I had for myself that made me feel good about myself. And now it's gone. He's like, if you can get me my trophy back, like maybe I'll help you out with some stuff. And I just find that like these side quests are a little bit more grounded in like our reality, but have this paranormal, like kind of dark entity, you know, festering outside the edges is a really interesting spin on this game like all of that stuff fit really well in a high fantasy space but it's almost a little bit more fun when it's kind of like through an 80s john carpenter lens uh, lens so that's kingdom 80s they just it's been out for a little bit i think on consoles but has just been released on mobile um i got it on my iphone it sounds awesome it's good uh it's yeah. I, I think uh, you know outside of it being spooky season i think it is the version of this game that i would recommend to people like if you wanted to play one of the kingdom games i think the 80s version like they've really i think they've really mastered what they were going for here with this one that's so cool. I'll definitely check it out. It sounds a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, do you want to take one more very quick break and then come back and talk about our like main our main stuff for spooky season? I would love to. That sounds great. I'm really excited to talk about this. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> See ya. Happy Halloween! Welcome back to spooky season. Hello. I'm excited about this because uh, this is a game that I think we've said we would talk about on the show a lot. 
uh, during spooky seasons of, of, of yore. Um, and it's finally time to talk about Remedy Entertainment Presents Alan Wake, a, a game that came out in 2010, I want to say. Yeah, it's 2010. I think you you had replayed it like a year or two ago, maybe longer. Yeah. And brought it up briefly, but I haven't played it ever before until now. Yeah. Uh, and I played the remastered, which I think is essentially the same game, just sort of glossed up a bit. It's That is exactly what it is. They haven't yeah. really changed much of anything outside of some of the visual stuff which honestly i couldn't really tell the difference while i was playing it so i, I dipped into the the remaster as well it looks good but yeah i don't know like i don't know what's different about it it, it yeah it it feels exactly like i remember it which i <laughs> yeah. think is kind of what you want from a remaster because i imagine I, I don't really remember my experience going back and playing the 360 version on the xbox i guess that was last year but i think even in that experience i only played a little bit of it uh just to kind of like tease it for the show eventually yeah it was brief yeah but i i played a lot more of it in the in the remastered version this time around um which sent me down a a, a separate rabbit hole i'll get to later but and you had played it when it came out too right I did. Yeah, I played it when it came out. I remember getting it and then going to college, I think, in my brief stint in, in college. And my roommate was a game design major. And the two of us just sat there and like played through the whole game. That's fine. Uh, over the course of like a couple days and had a really great time with it. I My two like actually I have a, I have a couple very good like gaming in that dorm room memories. One of them is Alan Wake. And uh, the other one weirdly is Minecraft, like Minecraft, like I remember that, started yeah. to pick up steam around then. And those are two games that I really just associate with playing in my dorm room with my roommate and Alan Wake I loved when it came out like it it came out and I was like I want more games like this this is really special this is really interesting and I think it's actually worth talking a little bit about you know the kind of the state of of where we were at when this game came out because Alan Wake was such this was just such a breath of fresh air I think for a lot of people purely because of the mechanic of shining a light a flashlight at a evil creature before needing to shoot it in the head because i feel like just adding that extra little bit of like there's something non-violent happening before something violent happens was as non-violent as it got in 2010 you know because like we were really in the era of like call of duty every year assassin's creed every year uh halo was still had like halo reach i think came out that year as well like we, we were, were shaking off the cheeto dust exactly you know, in our in our gamer cocoon yeah starting starting to kind of reach outside of the realm of like what if you were just a first person shooter where you shot somebody in the head and i think alan wake coming out and having this like this really confident energy if you don't know anything about alan wake th here's your here's your little bit but like this really confident confident um set of inspirations that it's pulling from it's pulling from stephen king it's pulling from remedy's past work with max Payne, which i think is very interesting it's pulling from um just a lot of like twilight zone-esque twin peaks-esque material and i think as you and i have said on this show time and time and time again the more influences you grab inspiration from the more holistically new your thing will be right if you are just basing your game off of Final Fantasy VI and that's it, then you're probably going to be seen as a derivative Final Fantasy VI ripoff. Whereas if you're pulling inspiration from Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger and Dragon Quest V and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you'll get something like Chained Echoes, which feels like it is, you know, kind of breathing some fresh air into a space and and taking what works and taking inspiration from the right places. It, it actually reminds me of what we're praising about Mario Wonder, where, you know, I feel mm. like there's so much and not to not to discredit the new Super Mario Brothers, but I think there's a distinct difference there, right? Yeah. Where Mario Wonder feels like it's it's a carrying the baton forward, whereas new Super Mario Brothers is a little bit of like a celebration of the past yeah which totally has its place as well totally but i think if you're trying 
<laughs> Mario Brothers, totally. That's what I want. But I think you're right to point out that, uh, and it's it's interesting too. What I kept thinking about when playing Alan Wake was like, I I think this premise would be. I don't mean this as an insult to the game, but I feel like it's actually a compliment of how ahead of the zeitgeist this game was. Yes, because I feel like making this type of game now would be like. All right, you know, yes. like, okay, you know, that's like, that's why in I wanted 2010. To, there really wasn't much like this. That's why I wanted to bring that up, because I, I think if you haven't played Alan Wake and you go and play it now, I think you'll probably have a very weird experience because Alan Wake, despite being a game that's a I don't want to say totally lost to time again, like a remastered version came out in the last year. So like it's not it's not totally lost to time, but it's a game that I don't think people really think of when they consider how inspirational it has been for the AAA games landscape um, in in terms of like what can be a hit. Alan Wake like was pretty successful when it came out. Um, And then I think I think it was the Undead Nightmare, which was the um, the like spinoff or sorry, uh, the American Nightmare. I think it was the name of it. Uh, Yeah, Undead was was, uh, the Rockstar one. Yeah, that was uh, that was the Red Dead one. Um, But I I think it was that spinoff that like didn't do very well commercially, which kind of made people think like, oh, Alan Wake isn't like, you know, isn't this big, uh, you know, intellectual property that we're going to really focus on too much. But at the time when it came out, it was like really fresh and really interesting. So he plays this guy named Alan Wake who goes to the Pacific Northwest, which is like, I think they wanted to set it in Maine, but they were like, that's going to be a little bit too on the nose. <laughs> so Even they, though the game opens with Alan Wake going like, as Stephen King once yes, said. Yes, it's like, you just, know? if you're going to name drop Stephen King in the beginning, then put it in Maine. But anyway, yeah. it, it opens up in, in the Pacific Northwest in like a Maine looking ass town. Um, and he shows up there with his wife um, to, to go on vacation. And as they go to like pick up the keys to their cabin, uh, some weird stuff starts happening, let's say, that sends them uh, to a different house than they had initially rented for their vacation. And uh, things start going awry. Alan's wife goes missing at a certain point. I don't want to like give away all the stuff that happens, but Alan, Alan's wife goes missing um, and he kind of blacks out and wakes up in a car hanging off the edge of a cliff um, and needs to kind of piece his memory back together about what happened in between his wife's disappearance and how he ended up in this car. Um, and while that's happening, there are these kind of like dark beings or people around the town have this kind of like dark energy flowing through them and they become kind of like monster versions of themselves and you need to take a flashlight and shine a light on them to kind of burn that darkness away before you can shoot them in the head and kill them um which i think up for debate if that's totally necessary like maybe the flashlight could have been it but it's besides the point the game does feel like it suffers from a similar thing that the first uncharted did where like it almost feels like there was a pressure to add way more combat than there should have been. Yeah. Like I actually do think it feels really good. Like I think yes. the, the juggling too of like needing to put new batteries into your flashlight yeah. and reload is like, it, it's interesting to, to control Alan because the game does feel like it must have pulled a bit from Resident Evil four as well in terms of just like, I agree the over the shoulder nature of it. But Alan is like not Leon Kennedy. Like he is, <laughs> he is a, a out of work novelist who is given a gun. Yeah. So I think like, and I actually think, well, on one hand, it could maybe feel <laughs> frustrating to control him. I think it adds to the horror that he like can't outrun most enemies. Yes. And he's like just a very normal person. So what I love about Silent Hill is like the early ones, especially like it's Silent Hill too. When you find the first enemy, this is kind of like weird twitching mannequin. Uh, when James first encounters the enemy, like he just looks around and rips off a piece of a, of a fence. And for the first like third of the game, your only weapon is like this piece of wood. 
that you like whack things with and it barely does anything. And, you know, eventually you'll have like a gun and a sniper rifle. But like, I do think those games are scarier because you're not like an elite cop like in Resident Evil. Yes. Which, you know, that leads to the more action side, which is what four does so well. And those games are still scary and tense, but like it's a different shade of horror once you're more equipped. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's that's pretty much the setup for the game you know you're trying to solve this mystery and also trying to survive it also does what i think is is fun the the paranormal activity thing where you know at night is when you have these sequences of like needing to run around in the darkness and like kill all of these evil dark beings that have manifested themselves in bright falls and then during the daytime you're kind of fine and you're just kind of like hanging out and talking to the people around town and trying to convince them that bad things are happening and nobody seems to believe you yeah and i think the consistent use of light being like safety yes you know like the fact that day is like normal but like there's something kind of magically evil about nighttime Mm. and you know they do a great job to like the pacing of like having to navigate the woods and being stormed with enemies and seeing like a gas station in the distance or just like a traffic light or something like they do a good job like visually signposting where you have to go yeah and it's always like a huge breath of fresh air when you get there but they can also be cruel and like you'll get there and the light bulb will blink out and suddenly you're like screwed (laughs) um I, I love all that. I just, I'm just very curious to hear what it was like to start playing this game in 2023. Like, I'm, I'm just really curious about your experience, because going back and starting the game from the top again, I was like, I think Steven might hate this. And I, I remember texting you. I was just being like, give it a little bit more time than than you normally would. Yeah, I uh, so I was really excited to play and I had played control. So I like was kind of familiar with remedies like style. Yeah. And. I started it and for the first like hour, I was like, I think I might hate this. Like, <laughs> yeah. So the thing about Alan Wake is that he is insufferable and I think it's <laughs> on purpose. You know, I think it's, he is Garth Marenghi, but not a comedy. You yeah. know, he is like this novelist. And, and the big thing too, is that he narrates the whole game. Yes. So like, he'll be like, I walked into the coffee shop and I met an overeager fan. I quickly left and then found batteries to put in my flashlight. It was just like Stephen King once said. You know, and like that in the beginning, before you have additional context, feels like this maybe was a cool idea, but this is like insufferable. Like this is like this dude is so pretentious. This game is so derivative. It's like not fun. The dialogue is like kind of stiff. That's that's one of the things I've never really been able to put my finger on with this game. And maybe maybe if I keep playing it, I'll I'll like as an adult, you know, as not a as not a college freshman, I'll I'll have a better handle on it, but my feeling about it this time was like he's also not that good of a writer. Honestly, Brendan, I think all of that is on purpose. Do you? Yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. Yeah, because I just there was this one sequence where uh, you find one of the pages of his manuscript and it ends with it felt like a nightmare, but I was awake. And I was like, damn, man, that's some real like high school English well, writing. The thing is, like he is where the game like won me back was eventually without saying too much, it becomes increasingly clear that Alan's perception of reality is all over the place. Yes. You keep finding pages of his manuscript that are actually like beats of the game. Yes. And a lot of times you'll find pages for events that haven't happened yet. And then when you get to them, it's like, Oh, it reminds me a lot of 13 Sentinels actually, where that game is divided into like three sections. There's like the visual novel part. There's the RTS part. And then there's just like a flow chart of events that you can like study like you're trying to unearth an actual conspiracy theory. Right. And like, I really weirdly enjoyed that part of the game a lot because like just looking at the 
like chronological order of events is a revelation in and of itself. You're like, wait a minute, how was that before this? Yes. You know, and with Alan Wake, I find that finding the manuscript pages is like, not only are you getting a heads up of what's to come in the story, but like it adds to the sense of like who is in control here and like what is actually reality? Is it the daytime? You know, and there's a lot of foreshadowing of like Alan is and they make it very clear he's out of work, uh, that he's struggling to like find creative you know, energy again. He's a very popular writer. He's very, um, what, what's that guy? Like, like Tom Clancy adjacent. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he, he's famous for writing, um, what are without saying it explicitly and they changed the name, but he like, it's implied that he wrote the Max Payne books. Oh, interesting. Okay. The, char- the character that he that he is writing about, um, I think probably at one point was going to be Max Payne, but like Rockstar owns the rights to Max Payne and Remedy doesn't. Um, and this was going to be like a wholly original IP. So they kind of changed the name a little bit. It's it's worth mentioning. Alan Wake 2 is coming out uh, as of the time of this episode coming out, I think in like two days. Um, it's coming out on October 27th. And Sam Lake, who is the, um, is the creative director at Remedy, was the face of Max Payne in the Max Payne games and returns as i think the character from alan wake's book and alan wake 2 which i think really seals the deal in terms of like was it supposed to be max Payne or not yeah and i i think like the sort of slow burn of like oh this guy is not in control his perception of reality is maybe not accurate he's not a very good writer and he's also clearly a pretty shitty husband too yeah like all of that is like maybe almost it maybe could have been bigger because i do think there is that question of like how much of this is intentional. I do think it's, I do think it is because you then, when you find TVs throughout the game, there's like an in-game version of the Twilight Zone that feels like so David Lynch in like, the awkwardness and the way the characters talk to each other. And like, he's also, he's one of the writers of that show also, it's worth mentioning. And like, it's very hokey. Yeah, so I I think it's like looking back on how the beginning felt because it, it, it does just feel like a 2010 attempt at being like a modern day Sony PlayStation Studios game. Yeah, but I, I I think as reality began to unravel, I do think it like worked better in my opinion. Mm. Um, and I think there's something like unintentionally, or I think there's something like intentionally awkward about the narration. Like I yeah. think it's supposed to kind of like or just be another aspect that's like maybe in or out of alan's control but i would say if you're playing this game like give it until i think like once he wakes up in the car that's when the plot starts to get going and i think get to the gas station get to the gas station and the fact that the game is like directly nodding to stephen king and also at one point like the birds like literally from alfred hitchcock like the the meta read of this being like a sort of like hack writer haunted by his own inspiration Mm -hmm. and unable to like sort of face reality but like maybe it's manifesting in a different way that to me is really intriguing and i i definitely enjoy even though it kind of oversays its welcome i enjoy the light based combat like i love that like a flare gun is like a rocket launcher essentially yeah big burst of light and there's also like a strange army general who like wants the manuscript (laughs) and is like framed as the kidnapper. You know what it is? If Silent Hill 2 is Kubrick's The Shining, this is the made for TV Shining. But I think it's almost done that way on purpose. Like it's intentionally hokey. It's like intentionally, I I think they want us to not like Alan or at least be like 
intrigued at what his demons are. Right. Um, I do think I need to see it to the end before I like have a more confident read on that. But I think it's telling that like I started the game just disliking the whole thing and like slowly became more interested in like navigating it as its own work of fiction and yeah. discerning where the fiction and where the intention even is. I remember the ending being extremely satisfying, which yeah. um, I, I kind of can't believe that replaying this game again, I'm like, maybe I just played through the whole thing again. Like maybe I, maybe yeah. I really will like play through the whole game another time, but it's still, it still really holds up. It still feels really good for the most part. And I, I think one of the things I wanted to bring up kind of tangentially to this is because Alan Wake two is coming out. I was like, you know what game I really should revisit is control. Cause I think, I think there are a couple games over the course of, us doing the show where I'm like, I actually do regret not playing more of this, you know, because as we talk about a lot with the show, it's like we're playing a lot of stuff, you know, we're, we're never we're never beholden to new releases or whatever, but we are following our whims whenever new things are coming out or if we want to revisit things or check out old things. And when Control came out, it just came out like kind of not at the best time. And I remember moving on, you know, when I was about like halfway or three quarters of the way into that game. And like Death Stranding, it's one of those ones where I, I keep thinking to myself, like, if I had finished it, I wonder if it would like be higher on my goatee list that year or something. And I went back and I started playing control again because they, they had the like deluxe enhanced edition upgrade for like $2 or $3 or something to like upgrade from the PS4 to the PS5 version. I started playing it. I can't believe I put that game down. Like I, <laughs> I, I just think it's like, it's a miraculous thing. And I, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say at this point, considering they are very much using it as part of the marketing, but it's implied, not even implied. It's just pretty much stated directly that Alan Wake and Control are part of the same universe. This like remedy extended universe they're working on um, of like things that are their intellectual property. So like Max Payne doesn't really count technically and Quantum Break also doesn't count really, um, which is a, a game that like I think did kind of fail, unfortunately. But Control being this game where you play as, as uh, Jesse Faden, who makes her way into the Federal Bureau of Control in New York City and starts to have these like really wild paranormal experiences um, and finds out that there's an entire, you know, uh, organization part of the United States government that is like just exists to investigate that stuff is really fascinating and it's a really cool story and you know the idea of you know things like refrigerators and floppy disks and like rubber ducks being objects of power technically because we we imbue them with that power as like society because like we look at a rubber duck and we all have ideas of what a rubber duck means and like that makes a rubber duck powerful like that kind of stuff is very cool but they say pretty explicitly that Alan Wake takes place in the world of control and that it's a, technically an altered world event, which I think is like a it's a really fascinating thing to have done with Alan Wake in retrospect, you know? Yeah, and that's that's kind of I think control existing is what gives me confidence that the cringier elements of Alan Wake are intentional because yeah. like like I think both games are very interested in sort of the division between fiction and reality and like in control kind of being the arbiters of that in some ways. Yeah, I always like when a when a developer is like kind of consistently exploring similar themes in all of their work like i think about Supergiant a lot in that way where like all, all their games are very different but they all are kind of exploring some type of cyclical nature of failure mm. and how that is like a storytelling opportunity right you know yeah. um like bastion kind of has this like continuous element without saying too much I think Transistor may be a little bit less, but even then there's like this aspect of like dying or losing oneself or being defeated and then coming back and that being like gamified both narratively and mechanically. Um, oh, that does and, work in Transistor now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then in Remedy's case, it's like 
having a game explore like the the power we give fiction and by nature of that like the fact that we are kind of an engaging participant in that because it's a video game yeah i think there's a lot to explore there totally like, thematically and, and, and in other ways yeah it makes me really excited to see to see them create a sequel to alan wake first of all and to have that link back to control also more explicitly you know because Al- alan wake wasn't created and wasn't made in 2010 with the idea that they would make control eventually you know it was in the production of control that they decided retroactively to make alan wake a part of that universe which i think is it's not a thing that happens very frequently you know and it's not a thing that happens as successfully as it has happened i think with remedies games which i think is very cool um but to take this thing that i think is a very thematically I i think a thematically interesting story to be telling about this you know uh, at this point, kind of failed writer trying to find himself again, you know, and, and going through like the trials and tribulations of, of what that means. And then, you know, almost 10 years later or 10 years later, you know, not discounting that thematic journey that Alan has gone on. But this is not the only time something like that has happened. And there's actually a whole organization of people who investigate these kinds of things is very, very cool. And and is not a thing that I, I think really even happens in video games that frequently or much, much less like storytelling of of any kind of in in any medium i I, i'm just like i'm just really excited for alan wake 2 i think that's kind of the thing that's bubbling to the surface with me playing both of these games again is like i just kind of can't wait to get my hands on that and all the preview coverage has been glowing which i think is also really exciting i personally steven i think you should finish alan wake before you start the second one yeah I mean, I, I remember the ending, like I remember exactly like what happens at the end. And I think it is probably worth getting to that to set yourself up for what the sequel is going to be. Uh, Cause it's kind of like, it's, just, it's interesting that they decided to make a sequel. I always thought that they would just continue making sequels to control and tell Alan's story via that. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that they're going to like put him in the, in the hot seat again. I also think it's fun how like Alan Wake one is divided up into episodes and it will literally go like last time on Alan Wake. I love that. Recap, yeah, it's really fun. Which like on one hand feels very like 2010 game begging to be a TV show. Please take me seriously. But it's just another fictitious layer. Yeah. You know, like that's I think I think there's it's weird to say it's subtle because it's it's not subtle at all. But I think <laughs> when you start to think about like. Why is there a narration? Why is there a TV show? Why is there all these references to Stephen King? Why is there a last time on this? It's like really kind of messing with like the player and the character's perception of what is real. Yeah. Because even like getting a direct recap is told through the lens of this being a fictitious TV show. Yeah. Uh, which I think is really like that's where once I got I, I'm two episodes in and at this point I'm going to see it through. It feels like it's also a shorter game as well. It is short. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. Even zooming out to like as the player, it's also just nice to have like a really natural stopping point, you know, like to sit yeah. down and say, I'm going to play one episode of Alan Wake and then do that. And what's also funny is Alan Wake came out around the time that a lot of studios were trying to do episodic games like, uh, yeah, like Walking Dead, Walking Dead and the Sam and Max when Sam and Max came back, like that kind of stuff. I, I think I think a lot of studios are trying to do that. And one of the big questions that I remember a lot of interviewers asking Sam Lake and the team at Remedy was like, was this supposed to be an episodic game at some point originally? And they're like, nope. Yeah, right. That's again, it's like <laughs> it's just part it's just part of the story they're telling, you know, like yeah. to to think of this guy almost having like the, the Truman Show problem where he thinks of himself as the protagonist of his own story, you know, and like thinks of other people that he meets in real life as, you know, just side characters to tell his story alongside is like brilliant. 
It's like a really, yeah. it's a really smart take. And also the fact that if, if he is kind of considered like a Tom Clancy, the fact that the kidnapper is like a very like full metal jacket, like Colonel yeah. is, is very telling as well. Equally like interesting. Yeah. What's navigating around his mind. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting like, I was kind of ambivalent towards the sequel because I hadn't played the first one, obviously, but like, I, I just think. We're in such a different landscape for games that I'm really excited to see, like, what does Alan Wake look like in 2023 as a new entry, you know, especially in a post like Last of Us Worlds, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, even just seeing other studios, I think, taking on, yeah, exactly, like that style of game, you know, it's really just kind of like PlayStation trying their best to do that as much as possible these days. So seeing another studio being like, no, we we can do that too. And not only that, but we have all these years of experience. And like, I mean, go look at, like, just pull up a YouTube video and go watch some really high res footage of the enhanced edition of Control on like the best screen you have in your house. That's one of the most visually stunning video games, I think still, just in terms of its like confidence in design and use of color. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my God. And it's the way like, I remember like the editing of that game, like kind of scenes will just like cut into the next one. It is like, yeah. actually, I mean, the one thing about Alan Wake that like is like very endearingly 2010 is how like everyone would sort of just like, their mouths will just sort of move and there'll be dialogue. Yeah. It doesn't really match up. Yeah. And like, it has that early walk and talk style that like Naughty Dog sort of perfected eventually but control is so actually cinematic you know it's not it's not just referencing it in in dialogue it is like showing it visually yeah the word i keep thinking of with that game is just confidence like that game is just so fucking confident and knowing that that studio gets to come back with all the learnings from control and make a follow-up to alan wake all these years later is like exhilarating yeah i'm I'm very so stoked about it um so probably expect to hear about alan wake too at some point on the show Totally. Yeah, especially if it comes out soon. I'm excited to uh, have more light-based gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the most reductive way yep. to talk about it. Yeah. Wowie zowie. Let's wow. wrap up. <laughs> Wowie zowie. Thanks for listening. Happy Halloween. Uh, we'll see you. Uh, I guess our next episode is going to be our Majora's Mask bonus on Halloween, which we're very excited about. As you know, into the cast that online is our URL, our website uh, that has all the links you need. I I, like why I, was that funny? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, that's where you can find links to our Patreon, to our social media pages. If you are able to back us on Patreon, we really appreciate that. We're, we, we've received a pretty big bump this year, so we're just very glad like the show is able to continuously grow. It, it really helps to have like an actual budget to be able to like buy more games and buy better equipment, all that kind of stuff. We also have big plans for patrons in the early months of this coming year. So we'll keep you posted on that. Um, and yeah, anything else on your end, anything you want to broadcast or highlight? Mm, not really. I'm just kind of excited about what's coming down the pike. Yeah. We're, we're, we were talking before we started recording how like, it just feels like I'm glad we're at a point where we plan ahead a little bit more. Cause you like <laughs> there for the bulk of the show, we would just kind of choose like when the month arrived, we would choose what our bonuses. We pretty much have up until like spring mapped out for both the Patreon and bonuses. And that's like kind of thrilling. Yeah. Like we're, we're both really excited and, and confident. And confident. Dude, confidence. Dude, being the director at the board of control. <laughs> Dude, being a writer in your own dream. Um, <laughs> putting on the lights. Anyway. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you next week. 
Goodbye. Enjoy Halloween. Bye-bye. PWG, the worst garbage, the online.